Section 3 of Atlantis, the Antediluvian World by Ignatius Loyola Donnelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. Atlantis, the Antediluvian World by Ignatius Loyola Donnelly. The tale, which was of great length, began as follows. I have before remarked, in speaking of the allotments of the gods, that they distributed the whole earth into portions differing in extent, and made themselves temples and sacrifices. And Poseidon, receiving for his lot the island of Atlantis, begat children by a mortal woman, and settled them in a part of the island which I will proceed to describe. On the side toward the sea, and in the center of the whole island, there was a plain which is said to have been the fairest of all plains, and very fertile. Near the plain again, and also in the center of the island, at a distance of about fifty stadia, there was a mountain, not very high on any side. In this mountain there dwelt one of the earth-born primeval men of that country, whose name was Evanor, and he had a wife named Leucippe. And they had an old daughter, who was named Clito. The maiden was growing up to womanhood when her father and mother died. Poseidon fell in love with her, and had intercourse with her, and breaking the ground, enclosed the hill in which she dwelt all around, making alternate zones of sea and land, larger and smaller, encircling one another. There were two of land and three of water, which he turned as with a lathe out of the center of the island, equidistant every way, so that no man could get to the island, for ships and voyages were not yet heard of. He himself, as he was a god, found no difficulty in making special arrangements for the center island, bringing two streams of water under the earth which he caused to ascend as springs, one of warm water and the other of cold, and making every variety of food to spring up abundantly in the earth. He also begat and brought up five pairs of male children, dividing the island of Atlantis into ten portions. He gave to the firstborn of the eldest pair his mother's dwelling and the surrounding allotment, which was the largest and best, and made him king over the rest. The others he made princes, and gave them rule over many men, and a large territory. And he named them all, the eldest who was king, he named Atlas, and from him the whole island and the ocean received the name of Atlantic. To his twin brother, who was born after him, 
and obtained as his lot the extremity of the island towards the pillars of Heracles, as far as the country which is still called the region of Gades in that part of the world. He gave the name which in the Hellenic language is Eumelus. In the language of the country which is named after him, Gadirus. Of the second pair of twins, he called one Ampheres, and the other Evemon. To the third pair of twins he gave the names Mnesius to the elder, and Otochthon to the one who followed him. Of the fourth pair of twins he called the elder Elasippus, and the younger Mestor. And of the fifth pair he gave to the elder the name of Azais, and to the younger Diaprepes. All these and their descendants were the inhabitants and rulers of diverse islands in the open sea, and also, as has been already said, they held sway in the other direction over the country within the pillars as far as Egypt and Tyrrhenia. Now Atlas had a numerous and honorable family, and his eldest branch always retained the kingdom, which the eldest son handed on to his eldest for many generations, and they had such an amount of wealth as was never before possessed by kings and potentates, and is not likely ever to be again, and they were furnished with everything which they could have, both in city and country. For, because of the greatness of their empire, many things were brought to them from foreign countries, and the island itself provided much of what was required by them for the uses of life. In the first place, they dug out of the earth whatever was to be found there, mineral as well as metal, and that which is now only a name, and was then something more than a name, oricalcum, was dug out of the earth in many parts of the island, and, with the exception of gold, was esteemed the most precious of metals among the men of those days. There was an abundance of wood for carpenter's work, and sufficient maintenance for tame and wild animals. Moreover, there were a great number of elephants in the island, and there was provision for animals of every kind, both for those which live in lakes and marshes and rivers, and also for those which live in mountains and on plains, and therefore for the animal which is the largest and most voracious of them. Also, whatever fragrant things there are in the earth, whether roots or herbage or woods or distilling drops of flowers or fruits, grew and thrived in that land, and again the cultivated fruit of the earth, both the dry edible fruit and other species of fruit, which we call by the general name of legumes, and the fruits having a hard rind, affording drinks, and meats, and ointments, and good store of chestnuts, and the like, which may be used to play with, and are fruits which spoil with keeping. 
and the pleasant kinds of dessert which console us after dinner when we are full and tired of eating all these that sacred island lying beneath the sun brought forth fair and wondrous in infinite abundance all these things they received from the earth and they employed themselves in constructing their temples and palaces and harbors and docks and they arranged the whole country in the following manner first of all they bridged over the zones of sea which surrounded the ancient metropolis and made a passage into and out of they began to build the palace in the royal palace and then the habitation of the god and of their ancestors this they continued to ornament in successive generations every king surpassing the one who came before him to the utmost of his power until they made the building a marvel to behold for size and for beauty and beginning from the sea they dug a canal three hundred feet in width and one hundred feet in depth and fifty stadia in length which they carried through to the outermost zone making a passage from the sea up to this which became a harbour and leaving an opening sufficient to enable the largest vessels to find ingress moreover they divided the zones of land which parted the zones of sea constructing bridges of such a width as would leave a passage for an entire trireme to pass out of into another and roofed them over and there was a way underneath for the ships for the banks of the zones were raised considerably above the water now the largest of the zones into which a passage was cut from the sea was three stadia in breadth and the zone of land which came next of equal breadth and the next two as well as the zone of water as of land were two stadia and the one which surrounded the central island was a stadium only in width the island in which the passage was situated had a diameter of five stadia this and the zones and the bridge which was the sixth part of a stadium in width they surrounded by a stone wall on either side placing towers and gates on the bridges where the sea passed in the stone which was then used in the work they quarried from underneath the centre island and from underneath the zones on the outer as well as the inner side one kind of stone was white another black and a third red and as they quarried they at the same time hollowed out docks double within having roofs formed out of the native rock some of their buildings were simple but in others they put together different stones which they intermingled for the sake of ornament to be a natural source of delight the entire circuit of the wall which went round the outermost one they covered with a coating of brass and the circuit of the next wall they coated with tin and the third which encompassed the citadel 
flashed with the red light of orichalcum the palaces in the interior of the citadel were constructed in this wise in the centre was a holy temple dedicated to clito and poseidon which remained inaccessible and was surrounded by an enclosure of gold this was the spot in which they originally begat the race of the ten princes and thither they annually brought the fruits of the earth in their season from all the ten portions and performed sacrifices to each of them here too was poseidon's own temple of a stadium in length and half a stadium in width and of a proportionate height having a sort of barbaric splendor all the outside of the temple with the exception of the pinnacles they covered with silver and the pinnacles with gold in the interior of the temple the roof was of ivory adorned everywhere with gold and silver and orichalcum all the other parts of the walls and pillars and floor they lined with orichalcum in the temple they placed statues of gold there was the god himself standing in a chariot the charioteer of six-winged horses and of such a size that he touched the roof of the building with his head around him there were a hundred nereids riding on dolphins for such was thought to be the number of them in that day there were also in the interior of the temple other images which had been dedicated by private individuals and around the temple on the outside were placed statues of gold of all the ten kings and of their wives and there were many other great offerings both of kings and of private individuals coming both from the city itself and the foreign cities over which they held sway there was an altar too which in size and workmanship corresponded to the rest of the work and there were palaces in like manner which answered to the greatness of the kingdom and the glory of the temple in the next place they used fountains both of cold and hot springs these were very abundant and both kinds wonderfully adapted to use by reason of the sweetness and excellence of their waters they constructed buildings about them and planted suitable trees also cisterns some open to the heaven other which they roofed over to be used in winter as warm baths there were the king's baths and the baths of private persons which were kept apart also separate baths for women and others again for horses and cattle and to them they gave as much adornment as was suitable for them the water which ran off they carried some to the grove of poseidon where were growing all manner of trees of wonderful height and beauty owing to the excellence of the soil the remainder was conveyed by aqueducts which passed over the bridges to the outer circles and there were many temples built and dedicated to many gods also gardens and places of exercise some for men and some set apart for horses 
in both of the two islands formed by the zones and in the centre of the larger of the two there was a race-course of a stadium in width and in length allowed to extend all round the island for horses to race in also there were guard-horses at intervals for the bodyguard the more trusted of whom had their duties appointed to them in the lesser zone which was nearer the acropolis while the most trusted of all had houses given them within the citadel and about the persons of the kings the docks were full of triremes and naval stores and all things were quite ready for use enough of the plan of the royal palace crossing the outer harbours which were three in number you would come to a wall which began at the sea and went all around this was everywhere distant fifty stadia from the largest zone and harbour and enclosed the whole meeting at the mouth of the channel toward the sea the entire area was densely crowded with habitations and the canal and the largest of the harbours were full of vessels and merchants coming from all parts who from their numbers kept up a multitudinous sound of human voices and din of all sorts night and day i have repeated his descriptions of the city and the parts about the ancient palace nearly as he gave them and now i must endeavour to describe the nature and arrangement of the rest of the country the whole country was described as being very lofty and precipitous on the side of the sea but the country immediately about and surrounding the city was a level plain itself surrounded by mountains which descended toward the sea it was smooth and even but of an oblong shape extending in one direction three thousand stadia and going up the country from the sea through the centre of the island two thousand stadia the whole region of the island lies toward the south and is sheltered from the north the surrounding mountains he celebrated for their number and size and beauty in which they exceeded all that are now to be seen anywhere having in them also many wealthy inhabited villages and rivers and lakes and meadows supplying food enough for every animal wild or tame and wood of various sorts abundant for every kind of work i will now describe the plain which had been cultivated during many ages by many generations of kings it was rectangular and for the most part straight and oblong and what it wanted of the straight line followed the line of the circular ditch the depth and width and length of this ditch were incredible and gave the impression that such a work in addition to so many other works could hardly have been wrought by the hand of man but i must say what i have heard it was excavated to the depth of a hundred feet and its breadth was a stadium everywhere it was carried round the whole of the plain and was ten thousand stadia in length 
it received the streams which came down from the mountains and winding round the plain and touching the city at various points was there led off into the sea from above likewise straight canals of a hundred feet in width were cut in the plain and again let off into the ditch toward the sea these canals were at intervals of a hundred stadia and by them they brought down the wood from the mountains to the city and conveyed the fruits of the earth in ships cutting transverse passages from one canal into another and to the city twice in the year they gathered the fruits of the earth in winter having the benefit of the rains and in summer introducing the water of the canals as to the population each of the lots in the plain had an appointed chief of men who were fit for military service and the rise of the lot was to be a square of ten stadia each way and the total number of all the lots was sixty thousand and of the inhabitants of the mountains and of the rest of the country there was also a vast multitude having leaders to whom they were assigned according to their dwellings and villages the leader was required to furnish for the war the sixth portion of a war chariot so as to make up a total of ten thousand chariots also two horses and riders upon them and a light chariot without a seat accompanied by a fighting man on foot carrying a small shield and having charioteer mounted to guide the horses also he was bound to furnish two heavy-armed men two archers two slingers three stone-shooters and three javelin men who were skirmishers and four sailors to make up a complement of twelve hundred ships such was the order of war in the royal city that of the other nine governments was different in each of them and would be wearisome to narrate as to offices and honours the following was the arrangement from the first each of the ten kings in his own division and in his own city had an absolute control of the citizens and in many cases of the laws punishing and slaying whomsoever he would now the relations of their governments to one another were regulated by the injunctions of poseidon as the law had handed them down these were inscribed by the first men on a column of orichalcum which was situated in the middle of the island at the temple of poseidon whither the people were gathered together every fifth and sixth years alternately thus giving equal honour to the odd and to the even number and when they were gathered together they consulted about public affairs and inquired if any one had transgressed in anything and passed judgment on him accordingly and before they passed judgment they gave their pledges to one another in this wise there were bulls who had the range of the temple of poseidon and the ten who were left alone in the temple after they had offered prayers to the gods that they might take the sacrifices which were acceptable to them 
hunted the bulls without weapons but with staves and nooses and the bull which they caught they led up to the column the victim was then struck on the head by them and slain over the sacred inscription now on the column besides the law there was inscribed an oath invoking mighty curses on the disobedient when therefore after offering sacrifice according to their customs they had burnt the limbs of the bull they mingled a cup and cast in a clot of blood for each of them the rest of the victim they took to the fire after having made a purification of the column all round then they drew from the cup in golden vessels and pouring a libation on the fire they swore that they would judge according to the laws on the column and would punish any one who had previously transgressed and that for the future they would not if they could help transgress any of the inscriptions and would not command or obey any ruler who commanded them to act otherwise than according to the laws of their father poseidon this was the prayer which each of them offered up for himself and for his family at the same time drinking and dedicating the vessel in the temple of the god and after spending some necessary time at supper when darkness came on and the fire about the sacrifice was cool all of them put on most beautiful azure robes and sitting on the ground at night near the embers of the sacrifices on which they had sworn and extinguishing all the fire about the temple they received and gave judgment if any of them had any accusation to bring against any one and when they had given judgment at daybreak they wrote down their sentences on a golden tablet and deposited them as memorials with their robes there were many special laws which the several kings had inscribed about the temples but the most important was the following that they were not to take up arms against one another and they were all to come to the rescue if any one in any city attempted to overthrow the royal house like their ancestors they were to deliberate in common about war and other matters giving the supremacy to the family of atlas and the king was not to have the power of life and death over any of his kinsmen unless he had the assent of the majority of the ten kings such was the vast power which the gods settled in the lost island of atlantis and this he afterward directed against our land on the following pretext as traditions tell for many generations as long as the divine nature lasted in them they were obedient to the laws and well affectioned toward the gods who were their kinsmen for they possessed true and in every way great spirits practising gentleness and wisdom in the various chances of life and in their intercourse with one another they despised everything but virtue not caring for their present state of life 
and thinking lightly on the possession of gold and other property which seemed only a burden to them neither were they intoxicated by luxury nor did wealth deprive them of their self-control but they were sober and saw clearly that all these goods are increased by virtuous friendship with one another and that by excessive zeal for them and honour of them the good of them is lost and friendship perishes with them by such reflections and by the continuance in them of a divine nature all that which we have described waxed and increased in them but when this divine portion began to fade away in them and became diluted too often and with too much of the mortal admixture and the human nature got the upper hand then they being unable to bear their fortune became unseemly and to him who had an eye to see they began to appear base and had lost the fairest of their precious gifts but to those who had no eye to see the true happiness they still appeared glorious and blessed at the very time when they were filled with unrighteous avarice and power zeus the god of gods who rules with law and is able to see into such things perceiving that an honourable race was in a most wretched state and wanting to inflict punishment on them that they might be chastened and improved collected all the gods into his most holy habitation which being placed in the centre of the world sees all things that partake of generation and when he had called them together he spake as follows here plato's story abruptly ends end of section three end of part one chapter two